Welcome to the No Nonsense Agile Podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. And I'm Murray Robinson. And I'm Al Shalloway. Hi, Al. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. We asked you to come on because we're doing a theme on safe, scaled, agile framework for enterprises. I'm safe certified 4.6 practitioner and I've done a PI, but I didn't like what I saw, but I don't have enough depth to really go into it. That's why I've asked people like you who have a great deal of experience to come on. So perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about you and your experience. Sure. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've, I've kind of been around the block maybe two, three times with safe yeah. on this. So I knew, I knew Dean from the Lean Kanban conference in Miami in 2009. He was one of the co-creators along with myself of the Lean Software and Systems Society and I'm very impressed with Dean. And a couple of years later, I noticed that Dean and a couple of my own consultants at Net Objectives had done most of the actual real large scale agile endeavors. Now, I've since found a lot more, so it really wasn't true that we'd done most of them, but we'd done quite a few. And I talked to him and I realized that, well, he knew how to market better than me. So instead of having Net Objectives version and SAFE, I decided, well, let's, let's kind of join forces. There were a lot of things that SAFE was bringing to the forefront that I thought was good, like a big picture view, uh, some kind of large scale planning, the idea of driving from business, a way to not go from the bottom up, but look at things holistically. So I kind of threw my full weight into it. We were a contributor, mostly on the technical side. I became a gold partner, was the first SPC trainer outside of SAI, co-taught several courses with other SPCs in SAI. SAI is the company being that, you know, that's Dean's company that you know, sales create safe. And for a couple of years, I thought it was pretty good. I tailored it actually. I never did safe by the book. In fact, I got some grief from the safe folks for doing it my way. I usually did more elaboration at the front to see what was needed. I talked to managers a bit more. I didn't believe in it, just jump in and do it. That seems a big risk. We had good success, but after a couple of years, there were some things that I had hoped would get in that were clearly not. There were things we had done at Net Objectives. So one of them is what we call minimum business increments. That is it's very important that few people use it. And I highly recommend you look for them. MBIs, minimum business increments, a lot of information on it. It's basically an artifact you use when you have an existing product and you're trying to extend it. And in large organizations, you need to know not only what's the smallest thing I could deliver, but who's going to do it to coordinate things. And SAFE doesn't use this because they just have these big agile rules trains. So you get something to build and well, they're, the train's going to do it, the art's going to do it. But to be really agile, you have to have it smaller, smaller pieces, fewer number of people, very important. And I guess I got disappointed in a couple of things that it didn't seem that the requirements aspect, the product management was going to get any better. And it also seemed that there were different ways of, of doing lean and Kanban that weren't going to go in. So I don't know, I guess after two, three years, I decided that SAFE had some good stuff. I actually did a seminar called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly of SAFE. What's good about it, what's not so good about it, and what's missing. And so, I don't know, after about three years, I guess, I just left. I decided, no, nope, this isn't going to do it. It's getting too complicated. Too many terms get changed slightly. Like weighted shortest job first was misdefined. 
what a value stream is, it was really misdefined. They fixed it mostly, but it's still not what it should be. And this attitude of just clumping things together without some key pieces got me disenchanted with it. And I left and I started building my own thing based on what I'd seen work from interviewing hundreds of consultants and then came up with a different way of doing agile at scale that isn't a framework and is more holistic and truly based on lean flow, theory to constraints, organizational development, and human behavior. Okay. You had the ability to look at SAFE from other lenses because by the time SAFE came along and you got involved, you already had considerable experience in yeah. Agile, in Scrum, in Lean, and because you've been, you've been doing it from right from the very early stages, hadn't you? Yeah. Yeah, XP 99, Scrum around 2000, Kanban 2008. I've been around a bit. The thing about SAFE that really should not be ignored is it, it's addressing things that a lot of things don't. And these are good things. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying SAFE is good holistically, but I'm saying there's some good stuff there. And yes, I know a lot of companies put in SAFE just because it's the quote safe thing, no risk thing to do. You're not going to get fired. And people tell me safe's really a way to wrap waterfall and all that. And, and yes, it is. That's true. But not everybody does that. And I think it has to be acknowledged that you actually had a way to look holistically at a agile rule strength. I mean, I'm not saying it's the best thing because it isn't, but that you could look at 50 to 125 people or so and, hey, we're going to do this together, not try to get individual teams working together. Two different things. And that was good. You'd have a delivery pipeline. You had an intake process. You talked about visibility. People could do Scrum or Kanban. Um, safe Scrum, by the way. I'm not really sure exactly what it is now, but I remember in the early first few years, I thought it was better than Scrum because it talked about not having everything opened at once, trying to get things closed quickly, which Scrum kind of lets everybody figure out for themselves. There was more conversations about good quality technical stuff where it re they really meant it. Not like, oh yeah, you can go off and figure it out. It's That's lip service. And they brought in DevOps early. Also, there was the, the product manager. I remember in 2009, I think it was maybe 2010, there were four of us that had a conference or within one or two conferences. Myself, Mary Poppendick, Dennis Stevens of a Leading Agile, and Ken Power, who was at the time at Citrix, an internal consultant, we all introduced the product manager. And I, I don't know, I should say introduced, but at conferences, we talked about it. And we all did it independently. The Scrum folks just railed against us. Oh, you're putting somebody between the customer and the team. And our thought was, we now have a partner in Agile with the management and, and the marketing. And they mm -hmm. translate to the product owners what's needed. And now product management is like, okay, yeah, we have it. But I like that Safe had that. I thought that was a very important thing. So there was some good addressing of things in Safe that just wasn't there. Now, do they handle it as well as they could? No. But on another topic, as I heard Don Reiner and stuff, and he said, well, on a scale of one to 10, it's about a two, but they're the only ones who talk about it. So they're the best. And <laughs> it's like, it's like that. So you can't just throw the whole thing away. You've got to look at what's good about it. And the things I mentioned are good taking a more systems thinking approach. Well, it's clearly addressing a real problem and a niche in the market. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been successful. And, and the problem That's is right. 
how do you scale, how do you do agile in big organizations? There are lots of alternatives, of course. There's Nexus, there's the PMIs, DAD and Flex, there's Scrum at Scale, and then there's Bake Your Own. Uh, well, here's here's something interesting. So I'm no, I did build uh, the DA, I did build Flex. That's what why the PMI acquired net objectives, uh, flow for enterprise transformation, and it is the heart of the Discipline Agile Value Stream Consultant Workshop. And what I think most people don't really notice is there's a real shift in the industry. If you go back and look at Waterfall, you had definite phases. You know, the analysis, design, test, whatever. And then Agile said, oh, no, 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 no. We have to go small, small pieces, integrate the work, and all that's good. But there's something that actually hadn't shifted. And what hadn't shifted is how you talk and think about the organization. You still hear people talk about, well, do you do bottom-up? Do you do top-down? And Or oh, maybe you do top-down and bottom-up. But notice when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about hierarchy. I'm focused on silos and breaking silos and how... You have to go both ways. Well, to me, this is old school. It's not about doing hierarchies better. It's not attending to the hierarchies. It's attending to the value stream. It's attending to when work starts and when work is completed, goes back to the customer. So if you're saying, let's, first of all, I'd never believed in scaling agile. I've always talked about agile at scale because you don't want to start with a small thing and go big, but you might want to do something across the organization. So think about hierarchies. If you do agile at scale or scale agile with a hierarchy, that means you're going to have to start with the teams and go up and maybe have the leadership drive you. But if you think about value streams, you have a different opportunity. You don't need to do all the value streams. You can pick one. You can pick a couple. You could start pulling them out from each other. It's a different way of looking at the problem. And it's truly the essence of lean and flow. Lean is very misconstrued and, and, Unfortunately, that's because too many people take lean manufacturing practices and translate them into software. First of all, we're not manufacturing. We're, we're not building stuff. We're developing stuff. But even lean product development is not good enough because we're not in the physical world. Developing things in the physical world is quite different than in the virtual space. In the virtual space, you can build a little slice, actually build it, use it and go with it. You can't do that. And I'm having a remodeling done in my house next month and we got to get out of the place. <laughs> we can't even live here while they're doing it because they're going to really gut a floor and the noise was going to be too much. That's not how you do it in the agile space. In the agile space, they would fix one room, then they do another room, then they do another room and it would be easy. So that's a key thing. And none of the defined frameworks are looking at the value stream as a way to implement agile at scale. At least not Scrum doesn't, Safe doesn't. And I think that's where a lot of the problems are. We often see people adopting an agile mindset or an agile way of working with the basic tenant that they're trying to change the way they deliver something. So we want to change the way we do that thing because we want to deliver better, faster, whatever. They often don't start with, we want to change the way the organization behaves and works. And agile has a bunch of tools that allow us to do that. And then if we do that while we're delivering, we can you know get some extra benefits. But they take it from a delivery point of view. And that's often where I hear the top dip. The bottom up is, you know, we have a delivery team yep. and we want them to work better. And then we try and morph the organization. Yeah. Well, look, let's call it like it is. Most, most agile teams pattern themselves after Scrum. Scrum has no theory as to how the nature of product development works. 
They do have what they call scrum theory, but that really is a theory that if you do this, you'll succeed. There's no delays cause extra work. There's no like visibility is a good thing. In fact, Ken Schwaber vilified David Anderson and me after the Lean Kanban conference in 2009 for saying there should be explicit workflow. So you have a lot of people who truly don't understand Lean. And I, I know Scrum Guide now says it's based on Lean and it isn't. I mean, back in 2007, I was actually thrown off the Scrum development group for saying you could think of Scrum as a light implementation of Lean and that was useful. And this Ken brought Jeff Sutherland out and said, no, 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 we, we're not based on Lean. And then later his book came out a year or two later and said Scrum is based on Lean. But to be candid, if you look at what it means to be doing lean, looking at workflows, looking at visibility, just in time, building quality, and Scrum doesn't meet any really of the things. What it does is its practices help shut delays down, which is good, but it's not a lean mindset. So you have a lot of people who are taking a team-centric approach, which by the way, if you look at this, the Agile manifesto, team is mentioned 17 times. Customer a couple of times, organization a couple of times, management, not at all. So most people have come to this, it's teams, get them work together, you know, Scrum at scale, Nexus, things like that. They're all about getting teams working together. And this is not the way to design your organization. One of the things I learned back in 97, when I was a heavy developer, I read Chris Alexander's book, Timeless Way of Building, because of the design pattern Fuhrer back then. And my first book was on patterns. And what I discovered was the way I had designed up until that point was not good. <laughs> and I learned it from this book. And he talks about the way you design, and he meant systems. In his case, it was architecture, cities, things like that. Is you don't take the pieces and put it together, but you look at the whole, and then you split it up into groups. So in software development, it could be I got the business side, I got the development side. I now have this pattern, so to speak that talks about the relationship between those two. I'm not doing top down. I'm looking at part of the value stream. And then I can further subdivide those. So this is a holistic view. And if you have a framework or an approach and you're not designing it this way, if you're designing it from pieces, you're going to get what Deming calls a system that's not being managed. Everybody's trying to work independently, doing their own thing. And the system, the system as a whole doesn't work. And I think this is the flaw of a lot of these frameworks is that either they're simple and leave too much to, for it to be filled in or in safe case are too complicated. Yeah, there's a value stream in there, but you can't see it unless you know what value streams are. So you got all these components trying to get together and that's part of the complexity. So there are a lot of thought leaders who've come out and said that safe is not agile. So people like Jeff Gotthoff that said that. Martin Fowler, you know, a bunch of, of other people. Well, I wouldn't say Safe is Agile either. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would say Scrum is Agile. What is Agile, actually? Well, good question. Well, let's talk about that because I, I wanted to ask you if Safe met the Agile values, which is, I think, what defines what Agile is. Well, I don't actually agree that it's what defines Agile is, but I probably agree that it doesn't meet the values. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who don't agree that the Agile Manifesto is what defines Agile. And okay. my argument for it is twofold. One is we are uncovering better ways. Well, if you're uncovering better ways, why are we using something 20 years ago 
But the real reason was I was around before the manifesto came into existence. I was also, by the way, at Snowbird 10, which was the 10th anniversary of the manifesto. Now, I think the Agile manifesto was great. I, I want you to understand this is not a, this is not a complaint or a degradation of or saying they should have done better. I actually suspect had I been there, it wouldn't have been as good as it is. So I'm not saying I would have done better. Okay. But it was a manifesto. It was a point in time. It's a statement that we need to shift. And it was fabulous at that. But what it didn't have in it, and I noticed this right away, and it's, I never signed it, by the way, and I never signed it because of this. And I understood why they said, you know, the people over process. I understood that because back in the day, process was like, you had to do this. You had to do it this way. Well, you know, now Scrum says you got to do this. It's got immutable roles, events, artifacts, and rules. So, I mean, it's people, you have, I think most people, I did a little survey and it validated what I had said, that most people are told to do Scrum. They don't choose it freely. They're either outright told or they, they're strongly, which, which sets up a trap because Scrum has a boundary and Scrum is good for certain things, but not good for certain things. So, but at the time when it came out, they were, we were wondering, how the hell do you describe this thing? You know, little things, all integrated. I used to call it integrated and iterative and incremental. Those three characteristics. And the manifesto came out and said, oh, thank God, I got a name. But I didn't agree that it was the definition. It was just the, the best name we had at the moment. So, but yeah, let's look at, let's look at the, the manifesto and the values, individuals and interactions or processes and tools. Yeah. Which one does they, safe prioritize? Well, it depends how you implement it. I could do individuals over the safe rules, individuals interactions over safe. This, you could do that. Working software, absolutely safe does that. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't say to document. Customer collaboration, well... Better collaboration and safe than before. Responding to change, well, yeah, it's very slow response. That one maybe doesn't do so well because you got this three-month plan. Yeah, it's not agile, agile at that fourth one. That's absolutely true. That's not agile. Well, I think it could be much harsher than that because I've I've been involved in in safe programs and I, I am SPC 4.6, which is a little bit outdated now. But, I mean, safe seemed to me to be in the, the training, which is standardized training, right? You have, you're supposed to do training by the book. They give it to you. They give you a book. It's That's true. It's heavily focused on processes and tools, and there was I very, agree. very little discussion of individuals and interactions. And in practice, again, heavily focused on processes and tools, uh, what I saw. So I'm not really disagreeing with you, Mark, but what yeah. you're actually saying, is it safe or is it the way it's done? Is it? Well, I'm you saying know, it's both, actually. I, I would accept with that somebody who, you know, has has a different mindset could change the way SAFE is normally done and implement it so it focuses yeah. more on individuals and interactions. But SAFE does not lean itself towards that. It guides you heavily into processes and tools. I, I would agree with that. I think the biggest problem in SAFE, though, is is that it starts at the bottom layer with the teams. Yeah. And it does that because Agile is incredibly team-centric. Yeah, that's so, true. We, we can criticize Agile, I think, to some extent for, for not really thinking much about organization and maybe rejecting management. 
but I, but I want to yeah. continue with this. So so I would say working software over comprehensive documentation, you know, it certainly gets things done. You know, it's very delivery focused. I saw a lot of documentation still, but it was pretty shitty yeah. in the teams I was in, pretty confused. But, you know, it, it seemed to balance those or, or focus on delivery. Customer collaboration over contract negotiation. I... I felt the way it was done that PI planning establishes a contract for the team yes. for, the, for the next three yeah. months of work and it asks for a commitment and there's a lot of planning that goes on before PI. So there's a month or two of you know managers planning things. And, and it's hard to change. It's hard to change. So it feels very much like a contract and I've seen teams you know, then contract with suppliers for the for PI fixed scope. So. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. And there's no, I, there's very little discussion of the real customer. Like if you, if you're doing user experience design, right, you're talking a lot about who are the users and who are the customers and we talk to them every week. But customer in safe really means the, the business customer. I think there's, there's just, yeah, there's very little concern or attention about the real customer or user. Yeah. See, I guess, Murray, I look at it in a different way. So first yeah. of all, I agree with you. By this, it's not agile. Yeah. And when you look how it's used, it's, it's, but again, agile is relative. Yeah. So if you've got a 2000 person organization and they couldn't deliver anything in a year. Yeah. And you put safe in and now you can get things done in three months. Yeah, but it's not agile. What is that? Well, it's it's it, RUP two point I think, or or, a, or yeah. Okay, I would buy that. I would buy that. It's not agile, but are we going after agile with a big A? Are we going after improvement? And then you, what you said about the planning is actually, I think, a big insight on how to improve safe. Maybe I'm getting ahead, but it's also it's also something that's rampant in the agile big A community, which is a total lack of theory about why things work and at least in scrum and, and safe mentioned some things, but then they mention it, but they don't go deep into it. And there's a focus of the safe process over the theory that the safe process is supposedly I, until I think I got the safe people upset with me. I used to be quoted in the safe manual. Yeah. And one of the things I said is that, any delay is a symptom. Any delays you find in workflow is a symptom of a problem in your process. That delays are what you're trying to get rid of. You know, I hear the mantra eliminate waste, but it's kind of in knowledge work. That's a, it's not a useful mantra. Is planning waste? Well, in manufacturing, it might be, but not, not if it actually helps you collaborate and work together. But a delay is always waste. A delay in the workflow is, is, is not a good thing unless it, results in a smaller delay of a more important item. So well, then you have a trade-off. Well, what I saw oh. was a series of three-month fixed scope waterfall projects with, with two months right. of planning by management beforehand. And, and that's really what SAFE is most of the time. Yeah. And when, when companies of less than 500 people adopt SAFE, I know they're either, if they're under 100, they're just doing bad stuff. And if they're between 100 and 500, they might get some benefit for a few months, but then it's going to go bad. Let, let me tell a theory I have. So this is a theory, can't prove it, but 
I think it highlights some of the things. So when I have done safe adoptions and when I've talked to people who've done successful safe adoptions, what you notice is the first planning event is very successful and the three-month period is very well done and they get major improvement. And then the second one might get improvement, but you don't continue to improve. You just kind of get about where you were. And by the third one, it's going downhill. And then it gets really jammed. And now it's a year and you're back to where you were. And why does this happen? Because I've seen this so many times. I've seen so many people tell me this. And then people try it over too, because, well, we had success and then it stagnated and now we're bad. So why can't we maintain that success? So when you do a safe adoption, one of the things mostly management does is they step back and they allow the teams to truly do pull. They say, here, we're going to pull three months of work or so. And you're right, they overplan it. But they actually have the right amount of work to do because they decided it. Mm -hmm. Now, the next time they're a little less management, is a little less willing to let the development team pull three months of work. So there starts to becoming pressure. And by the third PI, it's become a push waterfall model. And that's why it goes back. So I get stagnated. And if you look at it from that perspective, it becomes quite interesting because I'd say that's just bad flow at scale that Scrum exhibits as well, because neither of them truly are pull system. Scrum is a pull of a batch, but it's not, a, excuse me, Scrum is a pull system, but it's a batch pull. It's time box. It's not a flow system, which is a better pull system. So I, I agree. I can't prove it, but I've seen that. I'd, I'd throw in another cause and effect that I've seen with teams. And, and I'm a little bit different from both of you in that I tend to start with teams. And then once the team's rocking it, when the organization starts to scale, then I'm typically not there anymore. So I've never seen a good scaling process. But when we try something new, we get permission to experiment. You know, so I do that, you know, I get a new team to work with. We have what, what I call the shit umbrella, a senior manager who holds <laughs> the umbrella and keeps everybody safe. And we get there for a period of time. We have permission to experiment and learn new ways of working. And then we start to lose that permission and we start, and then we start to get more directed. The second thing that I'd add to it though is once we start seeing success, we then try to scale. We, we try and get other teams to do it. And so, yeah, I do wonder from a safe point of view, because I've never been involved in a safe experiment and I probably never will be, but the people I've talked to, and I've talked to lots of them, I get an anecdote that, you know, they start adding more release trains yep. uh, after the first PI or the second PI. And they somehow think that you can now add more people at no cost, you know, because it's a scaling yeah. framework, right? We've got the pattern, we've got the framework, the factory's working, add more, add more nodes to the factory and it won't that's actually right. have a cost. And so I wonder if that's part of the impact of going I, not as fast. I suspect it is. See what SAFE does in the first PI, I think you're right. A lot of it is just, you get this umbrella. So you're lowering the amount of work in process. Well, you know what? I've been saying this for a very long time. If you lower the amount of work, I'm not just me. I mean, Reinhardt and Anderson, a lot of people. If you lower the amount of work in process and you don't change anything else, you're going to get a massive improvement. That's yeah. why we start some of our initiatives with using minimum business increments. Just get smaller pieces going through the system. Old Goldrat, creator of Theory of Constraints, says sometimes working on smaller batches is all it takes to bring a system back in control. 
So if all safe did was say, hey, let them figure out what they're going to do, you'd get probably just as much improvement. But see, here's the rub with safe. The agile release trains and the big planning event is actually pretty decent for managing dependencies, but it doesn't help you eliminate the dependencies. It doesn't have the concept of the MBI where you can get smaller things that require multiple teams. And it doesn't have the concept of what we call the focus solution team, which is between like a single scrum team and an agile release train. It's like two or three teams focused on one thing. So SAFE manages dependencies. It gives you no mechanism on how to untangle the dependencies. Yeah. So starting with SAFE may not be bad, but it's only the first step. You know, if you get, okay, everybody's together, but now let's unentangle. I, I agree with you. I think one reason managers like SAFE is because it feels familiar to them. It feels like Prince 2. It's got pictures that look a bit like that, and it's, you know, it's got layers and layers of managers and hierarchies in it. It's got, you know, the, the sort of stuff they like. And they can see that I was a general manager and now I'm the business owner or something like that. So they have a job. They haven't changed, yes. They have a job. Where's the, where's the job? You look up on the same big picture. Oh, that's where I am. I got a job. With, with Scrum, I'm a chicken. I have no job. Yeah. And, you know, there's a great line that applies to management and applies to coaches and consultants from Upton Sinclair. It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon him not understanding it. <laughs> and I think that's a lot of what's going on. But but I want to I want to ask you to this question because I, I was starting to get to it. And I, I liked I liked Shane. I liked your response. But so one of the common complaints in Scrum on Scrum teams is that oh yeah, management's always throwing one more thing or more than one more thing. Right? You hear that all the time. Yeah. Now I've been asking myself. I haven't when I've been on projects. I haven't had that problem too much. And oh, it could be Al smarter. I just got a name or all that. Well, I don't believe it. I know people smarter than me and better name than me that people don't listen to. So I, I don't think I'm listened to in that regard. But there's something I noticed I do. And this is, this is an important piece because it sets up what to do next. So SAFE is a batch system, a three-month batch system. Yeah. Scrum, if you do two weeks, is a two-week batch system. Now, Shane, if, if, I, if you pick two weeks, let's say you even pull it and I'm your boss and you pick two weeks worth of work and I get one more thing and you've got a team of eight people and I got something that's going to take three days and you tell me you're the iteration. So I say, Shane, come on. Two weeks of work, I got three man days here. You got 10 people. That's like 80 man days. I'm giving you a little bit more. Can't you just work a little harder? See, it's hard to say no to that. The other half is this. Let's say you're doing a flow system. Could be Kanban, could be any number of things. And the way you've told me you work is you got a team of, say, eight, 10 people. And you don't work on one thing at a time. Actually, one piece flow is not something to always try for. In manufacturing, it might be good, but not in software. So you've let me know that you got your 10 people. And what you'll do is you'll take the most important thing off, get one, two, three people working on it. The next thing, one, two, three people working on it. And now I give you something else to do. You have an easier time saying, well, I can do it, but it's going to, I either got to stop one of the things I'm working, which is okay if you want me to, or if I do it, it's going to push everything back. It's like a line in a grocery store. It's like somebody stepping in front of you. 
there's a model that as a manager, it's not about trying harder. It's about another item going into a line, into a queue. And I think that is not clear when you have batch systems. And I think it's clear when you have flow systems. And I'm just curious your guys' opinion. So I'm with you. I think a flow wake working, I think not having a batch where we can't do change is not as good as having a flow system. However, to have a flow system is incredibly difficult and complex to understand the flow, to measure the flow, to understand what the impact of introducing something into the flow is for the things that are currently in flow. And so when I'm working with teams, one of my, my primary focuses is to figure out what part of the way they work we're going to inspect and adapt first. You know, I had this conversation last night with somebody. When an agile coach comes in and starts talking on day one about how it's going to work, fire them. Yeah, an agile coach should walk in and observe for a week right. or two of what's happening, what's totally. working, what's not working, where should we invest time to change and see what happens. And then they should suggest to the team, looks like you've got a problem over here. Here's some of the toolkit things we've got that you can experiment to see if it fixes it. So I will tend to start a team off by suggesting we do Scrum. Why do I do that? Because I want to suggest that we lock our focus down to a time period, two to three weeks, and then we use the strong terms, the toolkit, and we say to those managers, you're not allowed to change what the team works on for a three-week window. And why do we do that? Because we want the team to adapt what they're doing and inspect it in terms of what they're doing within those three weeks. We don't want more complexity coming in. As soon as that manager comes in and says, what about this? We've broken the, the toolkit, we've broken the system, and that has consequences. Now, my view is we should strive to move out of a batch way of working, but we have to be ready. We have to understand the complexity and what happens and where it's going to break next, and we should start introducing some of the flow concepts. So again, the way I talk about it is I talk about how you can make toast. There's a great uh, video out there uh, on, that tells you about nodes and that. And so I it, love it. Yeah, it's a form of systems thinking. If you can't articulate how you do work, you know, how you start it, what you do in the middle, how you finish it, then I don't believe you're you're really it's not easy to adopt a flow mentality if you don't understand the flow of your work. And so, you know, if we start off with Scrum, understand the flow. And once you've got that, experiment with it. Well, you made two very salient points that I totally agree with. One is if somebody comes in and is telling you what to do from the beginning, get rid of them. But let me just underscore why a lot of people do that, because that's all they know. Because they've learned, here's a solution, and there is no kind of theory to understand how to improve it. So that's that's why that happens a lot. Now, the second thing, which I agree with, is you're using Scrum in a particular way. You're using Scrum to see what's going on. And I know people say, oh, Scrum will tell you, you know, an obscure your problems. Although if you know lean, I can, in a matter of hours, I can tell you what's going on by talking to people. It's not hard to see, but it's not whether I understand it's what they understand. So to me, the value of the sprint, like you talk about, isn't to let an experienced coach see what's going on. It's to let the team see what's going on, hit the wall, rub it in their noses. But see, you're not really doing scrum to do scrum. I, you correct me if I'm wrong. I heard you're doing it to find out what your problem is and then do the next step to go to smaller batches. So, so this comes to the key, right, for me. And, and yeah, doing these podcasts has helped solidify my thinking on this. I believe Agile has a bunch of patterns which you can use and it's a toolkit. 
Totally agree. I don't believe in any of the frameworks. So I, I use a lot of the scrum patterns at the beginning because I find them valuable when I'm working with a team for the first time. And I find Scrum easier to understand. I find the Scrum tools easier for me to understand and teach and explain and mentor and coach. I haven't done a lot in the lean flow stuff where we talk about actually, you know, looking at the data, understanding where the waste is. It's just, I haven't had much experience and I'm going to get more of that, but it's a toolkit, right? Every Scrum team I've worked with, we use a Kanban board to visualize the work being done. You're doing a lot of, a lot of lean stuff and I don't analyze things to do analysis either. So look, I, I agree with you, Al, that Scrum pulls a batch of work as does Safe. Safe pulls a three month batch and the results are you get a lot of crunching at the end. You get quality problems. You get things like nobody knows whether anything's done until the sprint review where they show the customer and say, here, sign off on this. And then the managers get upset when things that were in the plan weren't done and so on. So I figured that out pretty early with Scrum. And Scrum itself has actually moved away from this idea of, of a fixed scope and commitments. And it's moved towards the idea of sprint goals and forecasts. So they have recognized it. Most people don't do it that way. I'm sorry. It's still a time box. Now all they're saying is we're going to plan ahead for two weeks but we're not going to beat you up when you fail. It's not a flow model. It's not a lean model. And I hear what you're saying, but it's still a batch system. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very much a batch system. Now, within a year of me really doing Scrum consistently, I started introducing the Kanban model. So I've got Kanban boards where I put the different steps in the in the workflow and I encourage teams to, to slip the work. So let's say they planned 10 things and they did, it looks like they can only do six. I said, don't worry about it. We'll do the next four next time. We'll just let it flow. So in other words, I'm focusing on the work flowing through the system rather than, you know, delivering a fixed batch. Yeah, no, that's good. So it might be better. So we hear, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about, about helping save. Yeah. And we've been in this a little bit. So let me actually tie all this together. There is a central theme here that I'm seeing. So, but what you still have, what you still have when you do what you're saying yeah. is you still have like two or three weeks of planning. And if you only get 10 days worth of work done, that means you wasted time doing analysis on things that you never got built. It also is you're still looking at the whole thing. You're not looking at what's most important. And I think this is the killer in say. If you're doing a flow system, you have to be flowing value. You have to say, if I get this thing I'm working on, I have to get it through to the customer done. Now, if you're in a scrum team and you're doing this, it's not as hard because it's easy to see because it's one team. And even if you have only part of what is going to be delivered, you can see where it all came from. In scale, at scale, you have this spread across multiple teams, sometimes multiple trains. And over multiple months. And there needs to be an artifact that people can focus on. And what's important to notice is some teams, this artifact is maybe a couple of days of work. Sometimes it could be weeks. If you're writing a flight control system for an airplane, it might be months. But it's the smallest that you across the organization can focus on and reteam things. So safe, the pig room planning, the problem with it is. You have this three months 
and you want to get it all fit in. And you're focusing on getting this whole thing fit in instead of saying, what's the first thing I could deliver? Let's plan yeah. around the first thing I could deliver. The next thing I could deliver. The next thing I could deliver. And this changes your mindset. And then you're, you get a better relationship with the customer because you know which customer this MBI is, is geared for. So the bigger issue, though, is if you start at the team and you get the teams to work together, well, what's driving the teams? See, if you're, even if you're only a 30-person development organization, you know what? you got portfolio management there. Mm. you got product management there. So this idea that you can only have part of the value stream to start with is absurd because you always need portfolio management. You always need product management. You always need the team. This is where the value stream look is important. But because they don't have this concept of the small thing that can go through and because they built it for a large organization, you can't start at portfolio or full safe for all that because it's just too massive. And part of that is the lack of the right artifacts, in my opinion. So let's talk about better ways of scaling. Let, let's say that you, you have a large product or service and you work for a large organization and you want to do more of a flow system, which I definitely agree with. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about flex? We're just talking about MBIs. What is it? And could you explain what, what you are recommending? Well, I would say there are a few systems out there that are doing this. There's TameFlow by Steve Tendon. He doesn't have a, a workshop, but he has a great book. I highly recommend reading it. It's based on patterns and theory constraints. And there is the Flex system, which is part of Discipline Agile's Value Stream Consultant Workshop that I built. I've actually started doing something else. See, I don't believe that you can provide solutions to people no matter how smart you are. And when I start an engagement, I go in and I tell people, look, I have some experience. I've been doing this a long time and I've talked to lots of people. So I have patterns. I've seen stuff. But I never know your company as well as you know your company. So what we need to do is take your knowledge of what's going on in my experience and blend the solution together. So I've actually been doing stuff like that for a long time. But the problem is you're left with some static document when you leave. So I've created a new way of engaging clients where you say, look, let's decide these things. It's not just what you collaborate on. It's how you collaborate. And how do you document what you've collaborated on? So are you working on important small things? So you've got to look at your cues. Do you have too much stuff coming in? And why do you have so much stuff coming in? Is work visible? Is the workflow visible? Are you getting quick feedback? What really kills us is these little tiny things like Shane says something and I misunderstood him and I go off and build it. We don't find out for three months. And this huge failure happened because of some tiny misunderstanding. or. I have a meeting and Shane can't come to it. And then I just go off on my own and he could have presented something. We have this cascading sequence of errors. So the question isn't, can we, are we in complex? The question is, can we stop these tiny errors from becoming massive errors? This is why test-driven development, automated testing is good. Because if you find a bug right away, you fix it right away. You find it a month later. It's like, oh my God, what did I do? That's a month ago. I don't remember what I did. So complexity causes problems because it obscures these relationships. It obscures these errors. And I work on short feedback cycles. So you can eliminate 
little things making big differences. Agile does this, right? Scrum. Two-week sprints is long to me, but it's a lot better than two months like it used to be. So how do you get product quality? How do you look at teams matching the workflow? You know, how do you manage your value stream? Don't manage people, manage the value stream. Give them an opportunity to to work in a good environment. And finally, how do the value streams interrelate? So I'm a big believer in patterns, but let's tie all this together. So if I look at the whole organization and I realize it's a system and systems are not about the pieces, they're about the relationships between the pieces. And I start looking at what's the pattern of workflow. Well, I've got somebody driving it. I got somebody building it. And then in the driving, I've got portfolio management, product management. I could keep decomposing it. And what's interesting is that decomposition is a pattern. There's a relationship between portfolio management and product management. What I've actually created is how do they relate to each other, which is what a system is, how things relate to each other. And now if I look at a body of knowledge, I can have, oh, here are different ways, portfolio management and product management. How does business relate to development? Well, through planning, there's an intake process. And I got six ways of doing planning. So I think what you need to do to scale or to be effective anywhere is you have these issues that you have to look at. And frameworks are nice because they give you a preconceived, here's a solution. But what you really have are these three or four dozen issues you want to solve. How do you look at a system to see what's important? Then how do you manage it? How do you navigate the complexity by getting feedback, both of your work and also when you make a change? We can't know a change we're making is going to work. So we have to have the ability to take it out. Oh, oh, that was a really bad idea. What were you thinking? of doing that. We tried, it doesn't work, we bring it out. But if you have enough insight as to what's going on, the experiments, they are experiments in that you got to validate them, but you can almost always be right. And this drives people nuts when I say this, but I've seen this. I have, over the last 20 years, seen and done things that had never been done before. And it was done with confidence. I was 90% sure. And there are other people who do this, like Heidi Helfand. I love her dynamic reteaming. She breaks all these rules that are about stable teams. But why? Because she's got experience. She understands how teams interact and grow. And she's following those rules, not the set procedures. So we need to get beyond this American cowboy attitude of people get to decide what they do. They have to work together. Now, they do get to decide how they implement things. In other words, if you, Murray, are like the product owner or the person who's deciding what's working, okay, I have to do that and I have to report to you. But how I get my work done, that I can decide. But it's not a free-for-all. And we have Agile as a free-for-all right now. And I think that's a big problem. I agree with starting by seeing what the problem is. Maybe what we should do is go into summaries and then you can comment on, on our, okay. our summaries. So a lot of what you said about SAFE is consistent with what a lot of other people say about SAFE and, and also my experience. And I actually think you're being quite generous towards SAFE in what you've said because I've seen it worse than that. I'm not a fan. I wanted people to be clear. I'm not a fan of SAFE. I think it can be fixed. Though, of course, then you're adding stuff that's not insight. Yeah. But I, I, I am not a fan, but I think the irony, I'm not trying to be so much generous to say as much as I think 
in a weird way, what causes safe to go bad is not that dissimilar to what causes team agile to go bad. Yeah, and th there's a lot of problems with the leadership in organizations, yeah. which leads to them implementing safe in a traditional authoritarian command and control way because that's what they want. I don't know that's what they want. I okay. want something to be less risk and maybe the command and control happens because it's less risk to command and control. They don't have a knowledge base. Goldratt said this once, resistance is not so much about command and control as it is about the comfort zone. They don't know how to step out of their comfort zone. They don't understand it. So they revert to the command and control. And there are some people who are commanding and controlling. I'm not disputing that. But here, let me let me throw something else out here. Yes. Because this, I think, is an important thing, and I'd be curious. So adopting SAFE, adopting Scrum, trying to improve an organization, isn't that kind of a project in a sense? We're going to undertake something, put some money in it, expect people to work a certain way. I'd say it's a kind of project. So let me ask you this. How does SAFE attend to the risk of a company starting SAFE? How does Scrum attend to the risk of somebody using Scrum? And I suggest they both ignore it. I agree with you. They both ignore it. In fact, there are a lot of things that we tend to just ignore. And this is the big issue. So it's not just a question of scale. It's not just a question of what you're doing. And it's a question to me of, are you really being intelligent about this? Are you really thinking? That's pattern good. of something starts and something finishes and we never touch it again is absolute bollocks. I anyway. think there are some cases, but anyway, go ahead. Your point. I think there is a big problem with the idea of a agile transformation where a group of consultants oh, yeah. come in and they impose safe or scrum or something else, you know, almost regardless of what the problem is. and People just have to do it. And almost it, out. It's predetermined. It is, is regardless of the problem. Yeah, it's predetermined because <laughs> that's what they're selling and that's what they know yeah. how to deliver. And people who say, well, hang on, what about this? Uh, just get in the way. That's the way they think of it. So they push them out. And, you know, they have a traditional change management approach, which is the, the organization is frozen. So you unfreeze it, you make your change and you freeze it again. So there's this idea of transformation is a big bang, big plan up front, big design up front. You know, managers make all the decisions based on their innate genius. And then regardless of what happens on the ground, it gets implemented. And then regardless of whether it works or not, the success is celebrated, papers are written, and Absolutely. everyone gets promoted. And, you know, any problems are due to, you know, people we don't like, so we'll just blame them. So that's the way it's it's done. And it never works well. It's all the problems with waterfall that we complain about are done in a safe implementation or a scrum implementation, usually. Shane and I have talked about this a lot before, and we are very big fans of implementing whatever agile approach you want in a tailored way based on right. Uh, learning about the organization, getting feedback, getting participation. Totally agree. Making experiments, getting things to work, and then scaling them up. 
So a safe has this snake implementation so pattern. It's a predetermined roadmap. It's a predetermined roadmap. It involves something like 16 courses. You know, it's fantastic for selling training and certification. Yeah, that's why they have it. Yeah. Yeah, Scrum has this has almost as many workshops, by the way. Level one, level two, level three, level four. Scrum master, team, product owner, technical. Same thing. These are these are so, so course elements. But wait, you said something, Murray, that is really, really important. And I'm so glad it's worth my time just for this one insight. Something I already knew, but I forgot to say is how important it is. See, I would suggest... And I understand, Shane, your attitude about projects. What I hear you say is it's never over. It's never over. Now, think about that for a second and think about what you said. I would suggest this is a requirement for any approach you take, that the way you start and the way you continuously improve is the same. Yes. In both cases, you look to see where you are and you look to see what you can do to improve. And if you just come in, you're looking to see, well, where are they? It doesn't mean I don't do something massive at the beginning where they are. Sometimes you do a big abrupt change, but I don't just bring the big change. I see where they are. I see what you need to do. And then later, a month, a week, a day, I'm going to improve. I do the same thing. Well, where am I now? And what do I need to do now? And where am I now? You know, yeah. and it's where am I now? What do I need to do? What happened? And that cycle starts and keeps going. And you do not find this in frameworks. Yeah. Somebody once described it to me as a permaculture. Right. It's, it's, it's actually, I love the concept and, and the way I apply it is if I can go back and talk to the teams I've worked with a year later and they're still inspecting and adapting, then the permaculture has taken place. Yeah. So they, you know, they may not, you know, the, the pens they apply may not be the ones I like or the ones I agree with, or may not be giving them much value, but they're still inspecting and adapting the permaculture yeah. of, of doing that is, is the key. And I love that concept, right? The idea of it carries yeah. on. So if, if you, if you want to give me three minutes to say, how can you fix safe in a sense or, or abandon it in the summary, I would say this. So I'm not really a fan of safe in general. If you're under 500 people and you're doing safe, you're not being effective. I can guarantee it's that solution is not intended for people under 500, but if you're over 500, it's got an advantage to start, but it locks you into it. It has immediate advantage because it gives you the freedom to put some things in, but it's not decoupling your trains. It's not giving you the right value creation structures to improve. And it's not really a flow model. It's a big batch model. Yeah. And you need to see the flow and the value creation structures to improve that. So you may get some advantage to start, but you're not going to keep it going. For that, you need new concepts. This is where... Again, some of the patterns of product management, portfolio management that I mentioned. The problem is most executives, leaders, they're not really interested in that. They don't understand it. So they're just trying to, I won't say they're giving lip service, but they're trying to, I got to adapt agile. Everybody's adapting agile. I don't have a choice. I better adapt agile. If I don't adapt agile and our price goes down, our earnings go down, then all of a sudden I'm going to be held accountable because I didn't do what everybody knows they're supposed to do. And now the question is, who's responsible for that attitude? Who has sold solutions as the same as Agile? And it isn't just safe. It's pretty much all the framework delivers. Now, I want to be very clear about here because people sometimes don't understand this. Flex is not a framework. 
disciplined agile is not a framework. What I'm doing at Success Engineering, my new company, is not a framework. I don't like frameworks. I've talked about frameworks being bad for a long time. You cannot use frameworks. They immediately limit your thinking because they have you do things that may or may not fit your situation. I would suggest what people need to do is start looking at not how do you tie the pieces together, but how do you create value add from how the customer is working? You're building a system, how the customer interacts with your system. That's what's important. You're really interested in the customer's operational value stream, not the journey. Most customers don't think through the operational value stream and you can change it. I think we have to shift to value stream thinking and the way people work. I'll give you a simple example. So we bought a house a few months ago. We moved to Edmonds from California. And I wanted a refrigerator in my garage for extra stuff. And one of the things are drinks. Well, I bought this refrigerator that has a door in the door. So if I want to drink, I just open the outer door, just exposes a little part, keeps lower electricity because it don't lose all the air. And guess what? That's changed my operational value stream. If I want a drink, I open the door in the door. If I want something else, I open the whole door. It's changed how I stock the refrigerator because I stock it, put drinks here, put the rest of the stuff there. So what you need to start thinking about is how can I add value to the customer? And all this development stuff, all these frameworks, ignore this to a large extent. And they talk about how can I build the system better? Instead of how can I improve my customer value stream and how do I look at the system I'm building to improve that and how do I get all this feedback? And we've gotten totally enmeshed in solutions because they're easy to sell. Yeah. And I know you don't disagree with me, but that's the real problem. More than safe, more than scrum, more than anything is agile reality is a disaster right now. And that's why I've kind of gone trying to get behind it. Yeah, it is pretty awful out there. You see some terrible things and some really miserable people. But I've had a lot of success in using oh, yeah. Scrum Ban. I've had a lot of success with helping teams implement that. And they've been happy and very productive. I see a big movement in Agile now towards product management and customers and user journeys and user experience, yep. which is fantastic. And and I've really built built design and UX into my whole process. So it's all happening at the same time. And I strongly yep. encourage people now to set up a regular weekly morning where they, they talk to real customers and real users and, you know, get get the developers to talk to them as well if oh, we can persuade them. And I think a lot of things scale up. I, uh, on the scaling up point of view, I've actually had a lot of success with the a version of the Spotify model, which I would call simply a matrix organizational model for functional teams. That's That's worked well. And I think lean portfolio management is actually really good. Using lean and Kanban at, at the bigger level, I think is a vast improvement on PI, I think I think the three the the greatest weakness in Save is its three month PI plan because I it agree. just it just constantly turns into fixed scope. So I I would strongly prefer people use a Kanban model for the work at at the bigger level. I agree. All right, let me let me jump in with my thoughts from this. So yeah, I 
constantly state that I'm unsafe and you haven't changed my mind. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to. <laughs> Increasing my bias just makes me feel better. It used to be a saying in, in the software industry, nobody got fired for uh, buying IBM. And I think one of the things that came out of this, as well as senior people being able to look at the safe diagram and seeing what their new pair of slippers looks like, you know, new slippers, no different job. I hadn't picked up on actually, you know, they can, they can see it as lower risk, right? They don't get fired because everybody's implementing safe. They think there's lower risk. I love the fact you talk about patterns because that's something I'm really passionate about. And, and this whole idea of frameworks versus toolkits. One of the things you said was, you know, you, you kind of got in trouble because you picked up safe and used it as a toolkit where you adapted it when you used it rather than using it as a framework and following the book. So, you know, for me, again, I, I think I need to look at safe as a toolkit. I think there are some things in there that I can reuse with, with teams to see if it makes, you know, the way they work better. And I think one of the other things that came out was this idea of batch versus flow has been a really interesting way to describe a pattern. So, you know, when you're applying a pattern, is that a batch pattern or a flow base? And is this the yep. right time to be applying that pattern? Right? Are we, you know, which is safer for us? I think the other thing that I found interesting was this idea of top down and bottom up. And what you talked about was don't do either, focus on the value stream. And that's that whole pattern of thin slicing. How can we thin yeah. slice across the organization rather Absolutely. than retain the hierarchical silos? The other thing for me is, you know, I still believe the only time you can have a thousand people working together effectively is at a music concert. This whole idea of having a thousand people working on the same thing is absolute bollocks. And so my answer to how do I scale to a thousand people on day one is don't. Yeah. Well, I would agree. Uh, just don't because it's never going to work, right? It's human nature. And for me, I've got one question I really need answered before okay. you go. Okay. What was the other part of the agile manifesto that was missing? What had to be there for you oh. to find it? Because you never told us. So I read the manifesto. And what I see lacking in the manifesto is there's almost no systems thinking in it. They mm -hmm. talk about software. Well, I'm not interested in building software. I'm interested in building value. The software part is a very small part of the entire thing. You read the 12 principles. Most of these are this way. Uh, I mean, I like a lot of them. Welcome changing requirements, even late in development. Yeah, that's good. Oh, late in development. Well, what about, I mean, it's all about development. It's a small part of the value stream. Yeah. And if you're not attending to the whole thing, I'm not for it. So here's my advice that would, would help a lot of what I've been saying here. Read Timeless Way of Building. I know a lot of people say you should read a pattern language. Pattern language is cool, but Timeless Way of Building will give you the thought process. I did not figure this out. I learned this from Alexander after doing design for 28 years wrong. I was, oh my God, he's right. This is a better way of design. And for the last 23 years, I've been using it and I find it always works. All right. Anyway, I think, I think we, we need to wrap it up. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. Al, Same here. That was the No Nonsense Agile podcast from Murray Robinson and Shane Gibson. If you'd like help with Agile, contact Murray at evolve.co. That's evolve with a zero. Thanks for listening. Thanks.